ridiculous story you've ever heard. I swear <laughs> I have not edited th- edited this for in- your entertainment purposes, okay. okay? True story. So when I was four years old, first thing is I was a wild kid. I was just crazy. And uh, as you probably can tell, I'm also not the tallest guy around. I'm five foot one on a good day wearing boots. Um, and my mom is four foot seven. Okay. So okay. she's really okay. tall too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, she, both of us like combined, we just have a lot of energy. Like take all of your energy and then all of your family's energy together and we have more. Sure. Okay. So I'm crazy. She's crazy. She takes me shopping at a Target department store one day. And I used to be on a leash. She had me on a leash most of the time. Okay. <laughs> Nice. This one day, I guess she was like, I'm just going to shop real quick. I'm going to run to this Target. I'm not going to put him on a leash. Bad, like, big mistake. So I take off. She loses me in this Target. Oh, okay. And with how crazy she is, she loses her mind. And the in a matter of, like, five, ten minutes goes by. No one can find me. Finally, the entire store is searching for me. Oh, my God. And I'm four. I'm only four years old. I was going to say, you're 15 at this no, point? No, yeah. So <laughs> this was last year. <laughs> so, um. So she is losing it, so everyone pitches in to help. I'm talking the staff, the other shoppers. They actually, like 15, 20 minutes goes by, still nobody can find me. So they end up locking the store down. They called the police. They called the fire department. They thought I was kidnapped. And finally, the manager came up to my mom and said, Ma'am, calm down, calm down. I found your son. And he stuck his finger up in the air, and he pointed straight to the ceiling. He said, He's up there. What? Apparently, there was a giant support beam about 25 feet to the (laughs) ceiling. I wrapped onto it, like bear hugged this pole, and there wasn't a ladder on this thing. I climbed it to the ceiling. You just like mogleed up it. Yeah, I was all the way <laughs> I was all the way at the top of this pole in the middle of this target. And when everybody saw, they were like shocked. Like, how is this little kid holding onto this pole? And uh, you know, I was just chilling up there, like, what, this isn't normal? And so um and they actually, the fire department came in. They are about to set up a ladder like I was a freaking cat stuck in a tree. <laughs> were they trying to talk to you, like, come down? Or yeah, were they just and so as they were about to set up the ladder, I slid down. And I was like, what? And so <laughs> that's awesome. My, my mom went home that night and told my dad all about it. My dad's, my dad's exact words were, wow, our son's a freak. <laughs> <laughs> Encouraging words. They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's enroll him in gymnastics. And so they, put me, they actually enrolled me the very next day into oh, wow. a gymnastics facility. And wow. I loved it. I mean – from That's day awesome. one, like swinging on the ropes and the rings and the high bars, playing in the foam pits. Yeah, it was just a perfect match. That's what awesome. an awesome moment of recognition by your parents yeah. or whatever to realize that that oh man, he would probably be awesome at this. Right. Yeah. So you know, it was really cool. Um, I was sponsored by TD Ameritrade back in 2011 and 12, and uh, they made a commercial about me. And uh, you can actually watch it on YouTube. Just type in Jonathan Horton TD Ameritrade commercial, and it's Matt Damon's voice narrating. And he's talking about when Jonathan Horton was four years old, he climbed a pole where most parents would have gotten mad. When he was only four years old, Jonathan Horton climbed all the way to the ceiling in the middle of a department store. Some parents might have scolded him. Jonathan's parents gave him gymnastics lessons. It's amazing how far you can go with a little help. Jonathan's parents enrolled him in gymnastics, and then they show me swinging on the high bar at the Olympic Games, landing my dismount, and it's like super cool commercial. And yeah, I was like, who would have awesome. thought at the age of four, right. this stupid kid climbing this <laughs> pole and his mom freaking out in the middle of the store would have come to this. It was really, wow. really cool. That is really good because there are there are a lot of parents that would just see that and just shut it down and say, you're not following instructions, you're not listening, whatever. But, it, yeah, like to what John said, it's a good moment of recognition by your parents to just be like, no, he uh, – 
I feel like there's a there's an outlet he needs. So let's harness this and put it into something productive like gymnastics. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I knew I was not cut out for gymnastics when my parents enrolled me, and I was too scared to go over the low bar. <laughs> you were like, like, not for me. Day one, not just just flip upside down. I'm like, no. And they're like, you know, maybe this isn't the best sport for him. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'll tell you what, you know, I when I got started, I wasn't the most talented kid in the world. I actually I had very really? little talent. Um, I wasn't the strongest kid, the fastest kid. The one thing that I had that most kids didn't, I was literally afraid of nothing. Like, I had zero fear, obviously, from climbing a pole 25 feet right. from the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I struggled in the sport for many, many years. I, I, I wasn't one of those guys that had a lot of success right away. And, um, you know, I loved it so much that I stuck with it. And I actually I didn't win my first competition for 12 years until I was almost 16 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Was there any point before you were 16 in, in competing where you were like, no, I, I, think, I think I can do this. I think I'm going to be at an elite level. Or up till that point, did you – I mean, what, what was it that kept you going? So when I was 10, I watched my very first Olympic Games, and that was in 1996 when they had it in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, the moment that sticks out in my head, like my pivotal moment in my career, was watching the women's gymnastics team. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, they, they were known as the Magnificent Seven, and I was glued to the TV. And what I remember best was watching the very end of the competition, gold medal was on the line. They needed one more person to land her final vault. This girl's name was Carrie Strug. Yeah, you guys remember yeah. Carrie yeah. Strug from the Olympics? Sure. Yeah. So if Carrie landed her final vault, they win gold. If she doesn't, they don't get a medal. But the problem was, before her vault, she broke her ankle. Yep. And so she was forced to go. She wasn't forced, but you could see like the weight of the world on her shoulders. And she was in agony with a broken ankle. She runs down this runway, does this crazy vault, lands on one foot. And the place went nuts. Yep. And so as a kid, when I saw that and I watched – you know, famous coach Bella Caroli, you can do it. He, like, picked her up and <laughs> put her on the podium, and the rest of the team came up. They all got their medals, and I was like, that's it. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I have no idea how, right. but I'm going to go figure this out. And so I was just inspired by the moment, and, I, you know, I wasn't the best guy. I wasn't winning any trophies or medals or anything, but I just always had that in the back of my mind. Like, okay, I'm going to become an Olympian. I'm going to become an Olympian. And – as I went throughout my career, I just always had that vision in my head, and I couldn't get it out. And, you know, I just I just kept pushing through every day. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that there, there's these moments because it's been 22 years since Kerry Strzok did that, and I go back and I watch it on YouTube, and that still gives me chills because I was 18 at that point. Like, that was – it was huge. Like, that's right. such a pivotal moment in American sports history, not just Olympics history. But then you look at, you know, you have Sean White doing stuff in the Winter Olympics, this Chloe Kim kid that – was phenomenal right. and it's it's interesting I, I even get just thinking about it now because i'm not i'm not the most patriotic person but it's just like those moments of, <laughs> you of just national throw that in <laughs> those, but those, but those moments of national pride that just speak to you on our, our nation not for me <laughs> that's just really casual but, but every four years yeah but it's <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's those magical moments that unites us to, you know from whether you're four ten eighteen or fifty years old and it's really cool that like those moments affect us all whether it's to inspire you to to be like i'm going to do that or just to have the moments where where you admire someone's athletic ability or their perseverance to, to deal with the adversity of a broken bone mm -hmm. you know and, and god knows what she went through or, or any of those people went through to get to that point it's just that that's that's really cool so when you talk about that moment it's like that's one of my favorite olympic moments ever and for you to mention that is like your inspiration of like I want to do that. It's yeah. like that. That's really really cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, it drove me my entire career. I mean, I, 
You know, I never accomplished that ultimate dream of being a gold medalist at the Olympics. Yeah, I got close. Yep. I got yeah. silver, but, you know, I think it's silver and amazing. bronze is pretty cool, too. Yeah. 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 Definitely. yeah, for sure. It's, uh, so when you were going through your career, especially when you weren't winning and, and there was a lot before you started winning your first competitions, what were some of the sacrifices that – was it a struggle for you to stay with the sport? I know you talked about the passion and playing that memory, but, I, you know, there's ups and downs with just about everything. And so how did you kind of persevere – through that, what were some of the sacrifices that you knew you would have to make to keep improving? And how how did your dad and both your parents really help shape that? Because I know there are a lot of parents that are like driven or like you're going to keep doing it. And there's others that are like, yeah, you want to quit? You want to quit? That's fine. But you got to I feel like almost you got to find that balance. So I'm curious how your parents. Yeah. So, you. you know, there's a few parts to that question. The first part I'll answer is what did my parents do? Right. M the best thing my parents ever did was they they laid low. They really they never pushed me. They never forced me. If anything, my mom would see me come home with, like, a big blister on my hand or I'd be tired. Or I'd have a huge bruise on me. She'd be like, you know, honey, you can quit when you anytime you want. You don't have to do this. And I was always like, why? She's like, it's really expensive to keep you in this anyways. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I always just, like, I wanted to do it because I wanted to do it, sure. you know. And my parents never pushed me. And I – so what I do for a living now is I'm a, I'm a motivational speaker. I do a lot of corporate speaking. I go to schools, and it's inevitable. I always have a parent that stands up in the back and goes, uh, I, you know, I got my kid in gymnastics recently, and he just started, and I've got him five days a week, and he's doing a private lesson on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. What else can I do to help him along and become an Olympian like you? I'm always like, leave him alone. Mm -hmm. Like, you've got him in doing way too much right away. And so yeah. a sport like gymnastics, or I think sports in general, if you want – well, you know what? Not even just sports, life in general. If you want to do something, if you want to be a business owner or a doctor or a lawyer, if you've got somebody like barking at you to go do it and it's not from your heart, you're probably not going to succeed in a way that you could if it just comes from within. Mm -hmm. And so my mom and dad always just kind of loved on me, cared about me. And, uh, you know, after a bad competition, they'd be like, you know, my dad, he's so funny. Uh, All right, son. So uh, that didn't go so well, did it? And I'd be like, <laughs> Nope, sure didn't. Daddy goes, you want to talk about it? Nope. All right, cool, son. Let's go get some McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, but, you know, my mom was a little more involved. But th I think the best thing they ever did was just not push me. Yeah. And there was there were several times to answer the first part of your question. I wanted to quit quite a bit. And, um, it all, again, back to the Olympics in 96, I always just got that, that moment back in my head that kept me going. And there were two times in my career that I actually – Really, really considered just like hanging it up. The first time one was was uh, I was 11 years old. A year after watching my first Olympics, I actually started improving pretty dramatically because it's like I had my vision, like I knew what I wanted. So I started really focusing in the gym, and I got to go to this really cool competition called the Future Stars Nationals. And what was cool about it, they invited 50 boys from around the country. They were going to take the top 15, and they were going to make the the first level of basically the national team. So there's the Future Stars national team, the junior national team, the senior national team, and then the Olympic team. Okay. So there's levels of it in gymnastics. So this is like the first stepping stone to becoming an Olympian. So I get so to the, the goal. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but the goal of all these levels is to develop athletes and give them the chance to compete to, At to the, and get make it to the next level. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So uh, this was like my first big competition. I told myself I've got to be top 15, and if I don't, like, how can I ever become an Olympian if I don't make the first level of a national team? Right. And so I go to that competition. I'm feeling pretty good, feeling confident. I end up getting dead last. I got mm. 50th place. Wow. And, uh, you know, I was pretty devastated. I ended up falling like six times on my last event, which was the pommel horse. And um, 
do you know, I at the end of that, I was like, well, that's it. I'm never going to become an Olympian. Like, I just done. I, I'm only 11 years old. I can't accomplish anything. And I just was so hard on myself. And I finally removed my head from my rear end. <laughs> and I kept going. But what's really cool about this was, you know, many years down the road, out of all 50 of those boys, only one of them became an Olympic medalist. Wow. That was the kid that got dead last. Wow. And so I just plugged away with it. Yeah. And the other time was <laughs> – I've, not only did I start my career last, but I've also I've got a few interesting stats. I've got more second place finishes than anyone in men's gymnastics in history. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. I also led my team to the worst performance in international history at a world championships. Oh, wow. Which was 13th place. Oof. I went to my first world championships ever in 2006. I bombed. I fell on every single event. And I don't know why the coaches kept me in the competition. I think it was because they had no other choice. Like, they couldn't just mm. bring in a reserve athlete be like, sure. get him out of here. <laughs> but, um, you know, I have fallen flat so many times and failed, like, way worse than, like, most athletes in my sport. And it really, again, it c came down to, you know, I just kept pushing forward. I never had anybody else push me besides myself. My coaches even knew they didn't need to push me because I was so hard on myself already. So, um, you know, that's the best advice that I can give parents is if your kids want to do sports, if they want to be involved in something extracurricular, find something that they truly love and allow them to push themselves. And I think it's okay to jump in there and tell them, you know, uh, you know, encourage your kids to want to be great and let them, you know, you know, let them be around other athletes and maybe that'll like, get that spark. But I really don't think that you can – push someone mm. to become an Olympian or a professional right. athlete. Mm. They have to want it. You right. really have to want it. And I've seen parents burn their kids out because they want it more than them. It just doesn't work. And you know, you really and you've shown what that kind of dedication and, and hard work and focus primarily can can do. Just taking it all the way to the Olympics, the two times and meddling and, and all the success that you've achieved definitely as a result. And and I want to pivot a little bit towards the college aspect as well, because I know, because you do cover that in detail as far as your decision. And I know that I've seen, you know, just different stuff that you've shared about, about OU and, and going and being a part of the OU gym, gymnastics team. But something I didn't know was you talked about how it was a difficult choice for you to choose between, to, to actually choose to go to OU as opposed to Penn State. And I want you to kind of walk us through that, just that process for you about, about choosing to go because it was your it was your parents that, that advised you to go to OU is, is that correct yeah well I mean so my parents didn't really advise me they really oh, sure. wanted me to go to OU oh, okay gotcha um, so it was it was a, it so, was a nudge <laughs> yeah it was well it was a it was a heavy nudge right and so you know kind of so in I kind of started rising in my sport around my sophomore junior year of high school i uh, i'm very open with people about my struggles early on in gymnastics i wasn't this prodigy of a kid that was super successful right off the bat i really kind of rose to prominence uh, you know around the age of maybe 17 or 18 and i became very highly recruited and so i was recruited by oklahoma penn state ohio state um michigan and so I had a lot of choices and I was really excited about that as very much so a blessing. And so I ended up taking three different recruiting trips. So I went to Michigan first and I, I fell in love with the school. I came home, loved Michigan. I told my parents I'm applying. That's the only place I want to go. Well, then like a week later, I took a trip to Penn State 
came home from Penn State, and I was like, guys, I'm going to Penn State. This is the greatest place I've ever been. The team, the team treated me like royalty. I got to go to a football game with 110,000 uh, crazy fans. The the campus is beautiful. I love the coach. I'm going to Penn State. And my mom and dad were like, uh-oh. So then a couple of weeks later, I take a recruiting trip to the University of Oklahoma. And to tell you the truth, I didn't have very much fun there at all. I was like, uh no, not, not happening. Like, not not for me. Like, yeah. you know, I thought the team was cool and the coaches were great, but there was just something about Penn State. Well, anyways, my mom and dad, um, if they're listening to this podcast, you know, that they, I'm trying to say this lightly, but they didn't have a ton of money growing up. Sure. Luckily, my parents, they're very successful now. My mom uh, became a successful uh, realtor. My dad. Uh, just retired from a, a career as an engineer designing, you know, piping for oil companies. But before, you know, they got those great careers, we kind of struggled. Yeah. And so my, uh, you know, and I didn't know that till later on when you have these serious talks as an adult and your parents are like, you realize it was a battle to keep you in gymnastics, right? And I'm like, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, they, they basically were like, look, if you want to see your family, um, if you go to Penn State, we can't fly to you and we can't fly you home. Mm. So we're never going to see you. We're not going to get to see you compete. We're not going to get to come visit you. We're hardly going to be able to fly you home for the holidays. And I was so dead set on going to Penn State. And it was a really, really hard decision for me. But Oklahoma is a, you know, a, a quick six-hour drive from home. Right. And I very reluctantly said, okay, fine. I'm going to throw all that other stuff away. I, I know I'm going to be way happier at Penn State. I, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to go to Oklahoma just to, to stay close to my family because I love my family. And it was the greatest decision I ever made. I went up to OU, and it was a, you know, a couple days before all of a sudden I was like, man, this is home. This is so great. I, I can't believe I didn't like this place at first. And I've really found – I talk to a lot of kids. I, I mentor young athletes that are trying to pick colleges, and I tell all of them, guys, I know that this is the hardest decision you've ever made in your young life. You've got five schools that are offering you a full scholarship, and you don't know what to do. But look, every single university out there has great coaches. They've got great education, and you just need to find a place that works for you and your family because – no matter where you go, it may take you a couple days. It may take you a couple months. It might even take you a year of being a little uncomfortable. But before you know it, that school is going to feel like home, and you're not even going to want to go home anymore because you're going to have your team. You're going to have your friends. Those friends turn into family. Your coaches turn into, like, parents. And, you know, no disrespect to your own family back home, but, like, for Thanksgiving and Christmas, I was like, man, I kind of want to hang out with my buddies here at Oklahoma. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think I would have gone to Penn State and been just as happy. I would have gone to Michigan or Ohio or any of these schools that recruited me, and the same thing would have happened. I would have, I would have molded in nice, and I would have loved everyone there. And so that's that's really my point for the the chapter that I I wrote about going to colleges. Don't get so stressed out about it. Talk to your parents. Be open with your family. You know, do you want to be close to home? Are you ready to just get away from your family? Right. Like, what do you want to do? Because no matter where you go these days, 
we have great colleges with great D1, D2, D3 programs. And if you go and you plug in and you you do everything you can to study hard and train hard if you're an athlete, you're going to love your time at a university. Uh, I'll try to make the story quick. It's a long story <laughs> if I share all the details. But, yeah, you know, I, I was um, I was a little bit of a trickster on high bar. The If you go back and kind of follow gymnastics, which I'm sure 99.9% of our listeners aren't like scholars of gymnastics <laughs> like I am. <laughs> um, high bar was an event that was traditionally about like grace and rhythm and you know, flow around the bar and like doing really beautiful skills with nice body line and stuff. And here I am five foot one, like kind of power pack gymnast. And I kind of broke that mold and started doing like X game style gymnastics at the age of 13 on high bar and had a lot of people tell me that my style of high bar would never be effective. It was too dangerous. It would never be a consistent type of performance and it just wasn't going to work. Well, they were right for a while. Um, I trained this pretty crazy routine for years and years and years unsuccessfully until finally <laughs> I had done enough times that I started nailing it at competitions and I was unbeatable. And then um, I was unbeatable till the year of the actual Olympics in 2008. All of a sudden I got in my head and couldn't nail my routine anymore. I was doing like four major release elements. Um, and suddenly at the U.S. Nationals and Olympic trials, I'm falling all over the place. Mm. Well, luckily – I still made the Olympic team because my the rest of my stuff on you know on the other five events was going so well. Right. But my coaches were like, "Dude, listen, you can't go to the Olympics and look like garbage on like your best event on high bar. Right. We're gonna have, <laughs> we got to water this thing down and do something that you know you can do under pressure at the Olympic Games. You don't want to look like you look right now right. in Beijing." <laughs> and uh, so I go to China. I do a much easier high bar routine, and uh, I nailed it. I was not expecting what happened. So in the preliminary round, I did my routine and I finished in seventh place over everyone in prelims. Well, if you're in the top eight, you make it into the the finals and you get to compete for a medal. And so I was like, holy cow, how did my easier routine get me into the finals? Right. And I, as soon as I realized I was in the finals, it kind of hit me. I was like, well, if I do this easier routine, it doesn't matter how perfect I do it. I have no shot at a medal. So I got this wild idea, and I sat my coaches and my teammates down. I was like, okay, guys, here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to throw all of my other skills back in the routine that I was doing years ago that all of a sudden I like, kept falling on. I'm going to put all those back in. And they were like, okay, all right, all right, let's, uh, no, no problem. And then I was like, then I'm going to try some stuff, some wild, crazy crap that nobody's ever seen me do before and that I've only done a couple times like in like training into a foam pit. And I'm going to do this and this and this. And I'm going to throw the biggest dismount ever. I'm going to do a triple twisting double back. And I'm going on a tangent in front of my team, <laughs> my coaches. They're looking at me like deer in the headlights. And I was like, so I'm going to do all that, guys. I'm going to win the gold. What do you think? And they were like frozen. They were like, John, that is the dumbest idea we have ever heard <laughs> in our lives. They were like, you're going to try a bunch of new skills. Um, and you're going to try the hardest dismount in the world. And you're going to add all your old skills back in. And you think that you're going to be able to get through that under pressure at the Olympics in front of 40,000 people live and a billion people around the world. And I was like, yeah, why not? So, <laughs> um, I just knew like if I didn't go all out, I had no shot at gold. And right. I wanted to know I at least had a shot at winning, winning gold. So um, 
I go and try this routine like 15 times, maybe 20 times in the training facility uh, during our like down days. And I was like all over the place. I was splatting all over the mats. I was slamming into the high bar. It was like, it was a disaster. But uh, the day of competition came and I just, I don't know, man, I had this faith. I was like, I, I can do this routine. And I had a quote in my head and I actually wrote this quote in my book. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Miracle, there's a yes. quote from her Brooks. Yeah, it's about the 1980 U.S. hockey team. Right. Um, her Brooks, right before the U.S. team goes out and plays the Soviets, he says to them, guys, we may play them 10 times and they beat us nine, but not, not this one, not today. Right. And that's kind of what I had in my head. I was like, I may fall on this 100 times, um, but not today. Like, I, I'm going to get through this. And I went for it. I threw the kitchen sink. I did everything that I possibly could. Nailed every single release element. Almost stuck the dismount and didn't win gold, but I got darn close. I got a silver medal at the Olympic Games. It was it was crazy, man. It was a crazy moment. And you had you just barely missed out on gold too, right? Like you you had a, a small step when you landed your routine, and that was the only thing that they deducted you for it. Am am I yeah. remembering that correctly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So when you know when gymnasts do their dismounts, um, you know we're supposed to land, and everybody knows about the the sticking a landing. Right. Well. I hit the ground and my foot, my right foot shifted forward about two inches because I had to catch my balance. And that was the difference between gold and silver. Mm. So yeah, it was, it was, it was so close. That's crazy. And I love the, the, you know, you were talking about how this type of an event is the high bar is, uh, well, and gymnastics, but also this live, this, uh, high bar, you like the nice, uh, body lines it's very beautiful and graceful there's power pack gymnasts doing all this kind of crazy crazy stuff and it's it there's a section in your book where you're talking about when you're first getting started and you've got um you've got your coach uh jim colhane who's a little bit of a, a yeah. mi militaristic man <laughs> and yes i would love to know so i think probably one of the things that really helped you out because you talk about kind of what a rambunctious kid you were and you couldn't focus and you had all this energy and you loved, loved gymnastics, but it was difficult for you to focus and, and kind of have that singular focus and drive. And so I would really love for you to kind of walk us through what it was like being coached by Jim Colhane, your experience with that and how that kind of helped prep you to have that singular focus to be able to eventually get silver. Like we talked about. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I was a really just rambunctious, like ADHD kid. I was like right. bouncing off the walls at all times. Um, and I, you know, Jim Colhane was a Olympian from the late sixties, early seventies was like super old school. Like you said, militaristic. And here I am this like little kid bouncing off the walls. And I show up at his gym when I'm six years old and he's like, uh-uh, we ain't having that. Like, right. we're, we're, we're not going to have this kid come in here and, like, wreak havoc. And um, I just remember my, you know, my parents were all in. They were like, you know, Coach Colhane, you're an Olympian. You know what to do. Uh, take it, take him away. So <laughs> they, they really believed in, like, everything he did. And he was hard on us as, as little kids. Um, and I remember learning so much. Like, I it sounds bad now, but like I used to get yelled at and screamed at, but very quickly I like I learned like how to 
like that. Okay. All right. That didn't work. I just got yelled at for that. Like I need to focus and pay attention on this over here. Right. And I started learning so fast by being able to just like look at the man and stop, like calm my brain down for a second because like, like I said, my mind was just like going crazy. And he really taught me how to focus on the task at hand and how to, you know, escape the distractions that were around me, even as a little kid. And, you know, I only was with him for like four years right. before I went to another facility. His gym closed down. But his style, um, you know, I know it didn't work for everybody. But for me, for a kid who um, was really wild, it settled me down. It made me see like what it took to be successful in a sport like gymnastics, which is it's just every little minute detail matters. And for him, it was more than just creating good gymnasts. It was keeping people safe and creating good people. Um, and I'm still good friends with, with coach Colhane now, you know, he's almost 80 years old and, uh, <laughs> he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a good dude. I'm very thankful that I started with him. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com. <laughs>